Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Leah, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, November 12, 2012. Today we're reading from the big book. You'll find us in Chapter 5, How It Works, on page 61, the first full paragraph beginning with What Usually Happens. And today's readers are Penny E., Fran, Kathy K., and Judy B. Thank you. OA Preamble. Actually, uh, the reference number, the, the share code for yesterday's meeting, 3306. 3306 for the speaker's meeting that was presented yesterday. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous, is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Lois to read the 12 steps. Lois, you'll need to press star one to unmute, please. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food and that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and moral inventory of ourselves. Five, uh, excuse me, I lost my place. Five, admitted to ourselves, to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove these defects of character. Eight, made a, made a list of all the persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to those people when, except when to do so would harm them or others. Ten, continued to, make, to take personal inventory of ourselves and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and understanding to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of of these twelve steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters everywhere and um, to compulsive overeaters 
and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you very much, and I will pass. Thank you. I will now call on Rose to read the 12 Traditions. Thank you, Leah. This is Rose, a recovered compulsive overeater. The 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other OA groups, other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. I pass. Thank you. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book. We are in Chapter 5, How It Works, page 61, the very first full paragraph beginning with what usually happens. 
And I will ask Penny E. to begin reading, please. Thank you, Leah. Good morning, everybody. My name is Penny E. from South Jersey, and I am a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. What usually happens, the show doesn't come off very well. He begins to think life doesn't treat him right. He decides to exert himself more. He becomes on the next occasion still more demanding or gracious, as the case may be. Still, the play does not suit him. Admitting he may be somewhat at fault, he is sure that other people are more to blame. He becomes angry, indignant, self-pitying. What is, it, what is his basic trouble? Is he not really a self-seeker, even when trying to be kind? Is he not a victim of the delusion that he can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world if he only manages well? Is it not evident to all the rest of the players that these are the things he wants? And do not his actions make each of them wish to retaliate, snatching all they can get out of the show? Is he not even in his best moments a producer of confusion rather than harmony? And I would like to share Penny E., Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Uh, this is the problem. So many of, I see so much in uh, OA in my area. Um, I, there used to be a saying, stark, raving, abstinent. Stark, raving, abstinent, where we would work the program of abstinence, not the program of recovery. And this is what this is describing, you know. This paragraph is describing somebody that has the food down because we're on step three, step three. And step three assumes that we've already taken step one, that we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable, A, that we were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives, and B, that no human power could have relieved our alcoholism, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. So here we are at step three, and I'm abstinent. And I'm abstinent. But what usually happens, the show doesn't come off very well. You know, the compulsion is screaming and doing push-ups, admitting that he may be somewhat at fault. You know, we haven't done the third or the fourth step here. You know, seeing that there's no exception to when somebody else upsets me, I've got to take a look at my part. Here he's still sure that other people are more to blame. You know, blame, blame, blame. He becomes angry. Character defects, indignant, character defects, self-pitying. What is his basic trouble? Self-seeking, character defect. I mean, this is ugly stuff, but this is the stuff that so many of us um, overlook because we're abstinent, because we're abstinent. And abstinence really means nothing. You know, uh, I've heard it on this line a million times. It's like holding our breath underwater. We will pick up if we don't have a spiritual experience sufficient to bring about recovery. And that only comes by working these steps. And I always share, it's not studying, it's not going to step meetings and highlighting. I, have, I had a million different colors, you know, highlighting, underlining, you know, tagging, da-da-da-da-da, talking about. But it's learning how to use this in my everyday life, a way of life, not just when I'm upset, but every single, we strive, we strive to use it every single day, 24-7. And that's the way that we can get recovered. So um, thanks for letting me share. I'll pass. Thank you, Penny E. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Carolyn. Carolyn, go ahead. 
Thank you, Leah. Good morning, Vision View. This is Carolyn. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. For me, this has been so detrimental, an eye-opener in that I am seeing how my life was always centered around everybody having to do things my way, Carolyn's way or no way, and that was it. And if it didn't go that way, then it was your fault that it didn't work out because you didn't do it the way I wanted it done, and that was the end of that. And it wasn't until I started realizing that I'm not bringing God into anything that I'm trying to decide. When I did my fourth step, I noticed how I was angry at the world because it wasn't being done my way. And I keep going back to being the director. And I thought, well, maybe that's why I just wasn't getting this program. I wanted to be in charge of everything. But who's in charge? It's not me. It's God. I needed to be spiritually in tune with my higher power, and I needed to grow that spirituality. When I first started in this program, well, when I first started on the phone line a couple of years ago, I was getting the idea that I had to totally let go and let God, but I wasn't fully enriching my program with God, and I had to bring him more into my life. So I kept praying, God, just bring the right people into my life to show me how to do this. And my life has been touched with so many beautiful people and have been directed to so many different spiritual lines that it's been so enriched. It has been so enriched, and I'm so blessed, and I'm so grateful I don't have to be in control anymore because things run much smoother when I take myself out of the situation and just stand on the sidelines and watch what's going on. And with that, I pass. Thank you very much. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Jump on in. The water is warm. Um, Hi, can I share? Of course. Hi, this is Michelle in Georgia. Um, This paragraph so much spoke to me um, and still does. This is all about victim mentality, and it was put to me and still works when things don't go quite right that when read in the first person, it's so powerful. I put it in terms of I. I begin to think life doesn't treat me well. Am I not, even in my best moments, a producer of confusion rather than harmony? That happens so many times for me, even with the best of intentions. Things went wrong. I felt I was misjudged, whatever, not understood. And I didn't realize that there was an aura around me, probably, you know, a sense, a feel that people could sense that I was not part of things and separate from. So this, to me, is such a description of the disease. You know, am I not really a self-seeker, even when trying to be kind? Am I not a victim? of the delusion that I can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world if only I manage well. For me, this was the description of my whole life. And sometimes, you know, for myself, it just made so much sense to to read it in terms of the eye. So I found that very useful, and I pass. Thank you, Michelle. Anyone else? Hi, this is Rose. I'd like to share. Of course. Go ahead. Um, 
the um, one of the, the thing that hit me when um, Penny was talking about stark raving abstinence, it kind of catapulted me back to when I first got abstinent on gray sheet, um, and that was like back in 1973. I would never have realized it until it was just said. I really was stark raving mad, and I was not surrendered. Um, I went to step meetings. I read steps. Um, the sentence in this paragraph that that hit me, which would tell you what I was like back then, is that, is he not, it's the last sentence, is he not, even in his best moments, a producer of confusion rather than harmony? In, in, in all the service I was involved with, sponsoring women, leading meetings in that state, um, without my own life of the steps in my life, um, they were in my head, not in my life. I was still acting the, the whole way this paragraph describes. Um, I was self-seeking, and I was still actually food. I was on gray sheet, but I was self-seeking out of that to, um, you know, I got my, my goal. I, I lost over 100 pounds, but I was stark raving abstinent. And then you denote the passing of... Um, I'll count the years for you, 38 and a half. And finally, 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 I've described it before, this godly fear, not an evil fear, not a, like, you know, the boogeyman's going to get me, this, this, it came from the program fear, a good kind, that said, Rose, you, you're going to blow it. You're not making it. You and God aren't together. And I couldn't blame God. So it only left me, there wasn't like a middle, a, a third choice. It was me or God was at fault. And thanks to God, I looked in the mirror for the first time as a food addict and said, Girl, it's you. You. You've been lying. And you haven't surrendered. And you are a producer of confusion rather than harmony. And every time you go to help your kids or your friends or your group or anybody, you're always looking out for number one. I mean, there were a ton of realities in my face. And there was the refrigerator and the telephone on May 1st. And I was a drowning woman. And I picked up that phone and I called someone in OA and said, can you help me? And she she knew um, it was about OA, and it was about getting honest for the first time and admitting it and believing God would bail me out of the 38 and a half years and turning it over through her to him. And And here I am. So with that... I'll pass. Thank you so much, Rose. My name is Leigh. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I wanted to focus in on this statement here. Still, the play does not suit him. Admitting he may be somewhat at fault, he is sure that other people are more to blame. You know, <laughs> uh, the big book is teaching me 
uh, is going to teach me that external conditions are never the remedy for an internal condition. I was the problem. And, uh, you know, even though I tried to manipulate all those characters on the stage and the lighting and the scenery to suit myself, um, I could never get comfortable. You know, I could never get comfortable. Things were never exactly the way I thought they should be. You know, and my basic flaw had been faulty dependence, faulty dependence on people, faulty dependence on circumstances and situations to supply me with a feeling of well-being, to supply me with a feeling of security and, and happiness. And when I failed to get those things according to my wishes, according to my demands and my specifications, that always led me to fight and to feel in in conflict and collision with everybody and everything. You know, it's describing self-will run riot here. That's exactly what it's describing. It reminds me of that quote in the AA 12 and 12, you know, it is a spiritual axiom that every time we are disturbed, no matter what the cause, there is something wrong with us. You know, because I was uncomfortable on this planet, so it didn't matter what was rotating around me, I was uncomfortable. It says here, is he not a victim of the delusion that he can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world if he only manages well? You know, when I I first came to OA, you know, I believed that food and weight were my problem. Food and weight are not my problem. You know, as was stated earlier with Penny E, you know, food is down, but we're still in collision at this point. My problem was fear. My problem was resentment, was uh, selfishness and self-seeking and dishonesty. And when I bring, I'm going to learn, when I bring God into that equation through the working of the steps, I don't think that way and I don't eat that way and I don't act that way because I'm not plagued with the delusion that I can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world if only I manage it well. And with that, I pass. Anyone else want to comment on this paragraph before we move on? Good morning. This is Margaret. I would like to just share a minute. Go right ahead. Oh, good. Good morning. Uh, this is Margaret Recovered in New Jersey. Um, you know, just just satisfaction and happiness out of this world if you only manage as well. I mean, just what everybody has said today. You know, it's, it's thank God today it's so easy to see that that was my problem. You know, it was so it's so easy. This weekend, it, you know, things didn't make, go to my specifications many, many times, and I was just amazed because I would have thought to me, I, I was watching myself, and I thought I would have had to eat over that. I would have had to eat over that, and I would have had to eat over that. And, you know, and I didn't have to eat. And what a miracle that is because, you know, I did bring God into my life first thing in the morning as we're taught here. As we get out of bed, you know, we begin to turn our thoughts and our mind over to care of God. And, and you know, through the day, you know, I was able to pause when agitated. I didn't have to make bring that confusion uh, into life, you know, because I also used to, in my best moments, become a producer of confusion rather than harmony. And, you know, I, I'm just so grateful. It's such a wonderful way of life. It's such a wonderful way of life to be able to create an atmosphere. And I, I learned that at word atmosphere a couple years ago, to be able to, create an atmosphere of peace within myself that then begins to permeate into my surroundings. And it's just a gift, and I pass with that. Thank you. Thank you, Margaret. 
And we'll move on to the next paragraph now with Fran, please. Good morning. This is Fran, compulsive overeater. Our actor is self-centered, egocentric, as people like to call it nowadays. He's like the retired businessman who lulls in Florida sunshine in the winter, complaining of the sad state of the nation. The minister who sighs over the sins of the 20th century. Politicians and reformers who are sure all would be utopia if the rest of the world would only behave. The outlaw, a safe cracker who thinks society has wronged him, and the alcoholic who has lost all and is locked up. Whatever our protestations are not most of us concerned with ourselves, our resentments, or our self-pity. And I pass. Thank you, Fran. Anyone like to comment on this paragraph? Good morning, it's Rick. Rick, go right ahead. Good morning, my name is Rick. I'm a compulsive overeater recovered in Massachusetts. Um, In the previous paragraph, they were talking about the unmanageability of our lives. And now, they're beginning to go into the reasons for that unmanageability. They're talking about our resentments, our self-pity, our selfishness. So, even though the book says we're at step three, they're taking time to review what our what our troubles were, what the causes were. Um, step one is that unmanageability of our lives, and then we have to look into what is causing that unmanageability, and they're going to take another couple paragraphs to talk about um, those character defects. So they're not letting us jump right into step three yet. They've given us another opportunity to look over our defects of character and the things that are troubling us before we uh, follow the rest of the directions. So even before we get to the step three prayer, they're going to they're gonna tell us what our problem was, what the causes were, and they're going to tell us what the solution is. So I just love the way they reiterate over and over the uh, the the directions that they're going to lay out in this book, and I'll pass. Thank you, Rick. Anyone else? This is Sarah. Can I share? Please go ahead, Sarah. You know, in this paragraph, um, the common thread that I see so much, he's like the retired businessman who who lolls in the Florida sunshine in the winter, complaining of the sad state of the nation, the minister who sighs over the sins of the 20th century. Um all of these are just examples of the blame game. You know, the blame game, you know, if if only the rest of the world would only behave, if my children would only behave, if my husband would only behave, if my sister, my parents, my workers, you know, my coworkers, my friends, all these people would do as I want. And and I blamed this delusions of my mind not being able to have a clarity between right and wrong and my self-centered existence had me pointing the finger in every direction but in the mirror and it's only really this program has really forced me to to step over to that mirror and and point the finger where it belongs and 
take responsibility for my own choices and that have created much of the havoc that um, that sometimes, you know, you have to bear the consequences of. And um, are not most of us concerned with ourselves, our resentments, and our self-pity? And it's so easy, especially, like Leah, like you always say, you know, when you put the, the food down, you know, you feel more. You feel everything more <laughs> resentment. You feel um, anger and and. and even jealousy and all these other feelings, you feel them more. And really thank God for the steps of this program that forced me to to not just point the finger in the mirror, but to take it apart and to um, and to repair. And if not for that darkness, if not for the darkness and the pain that that came with the process, I would never have seen the light that came as a result of working these steps. If not for that darkness, I would never have appreciated the light. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Anyone else? Hi, this is Kim. Kim, your turn. Good morning, Leia. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. That last sentence, whatever our protestations are not most of us concerned with ourselves, our resentments, or our self-pity. So what this is telling us is, is you know, our, um, our hypocrisy, you know, our justifications that what we do, you know, well, when I act a certain way, it's okay, but when other people act a certain way, that is wrong. You know, so, so that is what that is saying, you know, that the person in the Florida sunshine who complains about the rest of the world, the minister who complains about the, the sinners in the world when he himself is doing, doing the same exact thing. You know, so, so we're, what is that hypocrisy? You know, I think of Bill's story, you know, when he said about the, when the stock market crashed and the people were jumping off the buildings. It disgusted him, but he went back to the bar. So they killed themselves by jumping off the buildings, but he was going into the bar and killing himself. You know, and I relate to that because I have a lot of alcoholism in my family. I am not an alcoholic. And I would look at them like, oh, how did that disgust me? Just why don't you handle your problems better? But yet, yet I would go into the kitchen and I would binge my brains out. But the way they're handling it is wrong. The way I handle it, that's fine. You know, so it's our justifications of why our behavior, it's our resentment, our self-pity that makes, that is important. You know, it's like somebody that, that you know, the speed limit's 55, and oh, those people that break the speed limit. But then when you're late, well, you don't understand, I'm late, I have to speed. It's okay that I'm speeding down the drive because what I'm doing is important. You know, so we have to recognize that these are the, this is, this is what is, is driving us. This is what is driving us to go back to the food is all these justifications, you know, all these rationalizations, all these reasons that me, 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 the way that I express my fear is fine, but the way you express your fear is wrong. So we have to get down to those root causes, those root conditions, and then we are self-centered, egocentric, as people call it nowadays. Well, we have a lot of words. You know, we're victims, we're martyrs, I'm passive-aggressive, it's just my personality. But the question is, how is it working for you? How is it working for you? 
Because I know it got me to sit in a room of Overeaters Anonymous. And if that's how bad it got, I needed to look at it differently. And with that, I passed. Thank you, Kim. Anyone else on this paragraph? This is Robin. Robin, now you. <laughs> Good morning. This is Robin. I'm a compulsive overeater. I This paragraph really makes me think about personal responsibility. Um, you know, I was the one that was putting food in my mouth. I was angry at the whole world, but I was putting that food in my mouth and blaming it on everybody else. And I, I think what, what happens, what's happening in these paragraphs is that... Um, you know, I'm being asked to to shine that light on myself. Is it really um, the world that is, you know, that's causing me to, you know, I mean, well, I keep thinking about how I heard somebody say once, I'm going to eat at you. And I thought that was so funny at the time, but that was exactly what I was doing. You know, I was angry about the state of affairs in the world. I was um, angry that um, society had wronged me. I was uh, I was filled with self pity and resentment, and what I was doing was harming myself. I mean, I for some reason I thought I was harming other people. I was getting back at them by eating, but the truth is I was the one that was putting the food in my mouth. Everybody else was going about with their life, and there was me killing myself in the corner because I thought people had wronged me and harmed me. And, um, you know, it just, it, 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 um, the mental attitude that I grew up with that I brought into my adult life and this book finally, paragraphs like this, finally had the honesty to point out to me, this is how I, this is how I was living my life, and I had to take self-responsibility be- because it just wasn't working anymore. And here's the root of it. I was I was self-centered. I was egocentric. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Robin. Anyone else on this paragraph? Star one to unmute. Okay, we'll move to the next paragraph with Kathy Kay, please. Thank you, Leah. Good morning. This is Kathy. I'm a recovering compulsive overeater. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us, seemingly without provocation, but we invariably find that at some time in the past we have made decisions based on self, which later placed us in a position to be hurt. And uh, I'd like to share on this. Um, when I first came to the 12-step room, uh, I saw myself as a very giving person, and I could not relate at all to this idea that I was selfish and self-centered. Um, 
what I learned as I started to work the steps was that I was an, indeed a very selfish person, that all that giving was for the purpose of being loved and um, being needed. It was all for the purpose of satisfying my own needs for attention. Um, it took me a long time to recognize my self-centeredness, but uh, with all the inventory work, it started to become very, very clear to me. And similarly with fear, I can remember sitting in a meeting where we were discussing um, step four, and uh, I just didn't understand all the fear that people were alluding to. I had numbed myself for 40-some-odd years that I could not see that most of the time when I compulsively overate, it was to uh, get me as far away as I could from that fear that I experienced at every turn in my day. Um, so it took uh, much work uh, for me to peel that onion and to see um, that my compulsive behavior was fueled by fear and a hundred forms of fear, as I say here. Um, I also did not uh, really see how I was provoking other people again until I started doing my fourth step work um, and could see my part, um, which became painfully obvious as I did that work. Um, so it's a process. It's I've read this paragraph so many times, and finally, after much step work, I see myself in it um, uh, so clearly. And at least now, today, I have a solution so that I don't have to go back there. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Kathy. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Yes, Susan in Florida. Susan, go ahead. Thank you. Um, this is Susan in Florida, recovering compulsive overeater. I am right in my step work. I am right on this paragraph. I am right working with selfishness and self-centeredness. And I talked to my sponsor about it, and she encourages me to keep going on because as I'm writing, I don't like what I'm seeing. You know, I'm tallying up all my fears. And I, you know, the lady before me said 100 forms of fears. Well, yeah, I have more than 100 down here. But, I mean, things that I never thought that I was afraid of um, in, in, um, in, the, in the amounts that I am, like abandonment or being left alone to die or feeling stupid. I mean, I wrote this down probably 150 times in my inventory. You know, when I think of it once, it's one thing. If I think of it twice, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, oh, my God, we're looking at about hundreds of times. And it's scary. It's scary because of things that I did to harm other people because I had those fears, because I had those feelings of inadequacy. I made a lot of enemies. And now I'll have to right those wrongs eventually, but I'm not there yet. 
but I'm so grateful that I am instructed to put this down on paper because on paper I can really see where my issue is. In my head, I really could not see it. Thanks, I pass. Thank you. Anyone else on this paragraph, please? Kim. Penny E. Kim and then Penny E. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. It's Kim. Oh, I love this paragraph. You know, and I think for those of you that are starting out, this paragraph is just a, a little glimpse into what you're going to learn the step four. Because I got it a little bit, but I didn't really understand the depth of how self-centeredness and selfishness was the root of my trouble until so I started writing out my four steps. So for those of you this is confusing, just try to be open to it. Because when you do your four step, you're gonna you're gonna get this. You know, because I really didn't think it was self. It was my mother. It was my father. It was my brothers. It was my friends. You know, but when I started to do those columns, I started to see that my selfishness was the root of my trouble. You know, a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. You know, we love labels today. No, you don't understand. I have boundary issues. It's my family of origin. I have abandonment issues. That I, we, we love to put labels on stuff, and then what we do is we attack those labels with, I can fix that specific thing. I can use this type of behavior modification. I can read this book about abandonment. I can read this book about family of origin, and I'm going to manipulate it, and I'm going to fix it. But there's a thousand, hundreds of forms of self-illusion, but it's all self. You know, in step one, when we put down the food, it was the death of the food. In step three, when we're making this decision, it's the death of the self. We have to give up ourselves to a power greater than ourselves. You know, and I love that, you know, that as much as people hurt us, we have made decisions based on self, which later places us in a position to be hurt. And I remember when I was going through my fourth step and I was going through all my boyfriends and I'm telling my sponsor, oh, you don't understand, I'm dating all these losers and it's theirs, da 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 and she said to me, Kim, the problem isn't that the losers are asking you out. The problem is that you're saying yes when they do. So I was. If there was a room of 100 healthy men, I would find that loser to date. So it was my decision. You know, I, my decision to pick that guy that was the problem, not what happened later. So if I don't fix self, if I don't give my life over to God, my decisions will still be the same. They'll still be the same crappy decisions. So this chapter, this paragraph is so important, but just for people who are confused and don't get it, that's why the decision is so essential because it's only the action steps after this decision that are going to give this decision depth and weight. And when you get that, oh, what a freedom. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Kim. Penny E. Thank you, Leah. Good morning, Penny E., Recovered Compulsive Overeater. This is a major, major paragraph to me. And then I say, which, which one of these paragraphs is not major, major? But this paragraph helped me with a spiritual experience for me. Uh, was part of the reason that I think differently, react differently. I am different today. Selfishness. Selfishness is the self, selfishness, self-centeredness. That, we think, is the root of our troubles. Now, this is written by a hundred recovered alcoholics. I'm not sure. I think, I think Bill wrote this. I'm not sure. But a hundred. And they're giving us the precise directions to how we can get 
to be free, how we can live a happy, joyous, and free life, how I can live in a world where food is all over the place and not be bothered with it. This is our inheritance. This is the how-to. So I say, wow, selfishness is the root of my problems? For years and years and years on the following page, I remember being and talking and, and resentment is the number one offender. A lot of us know that. But even before resentment comes selfishness. If I didn't have selfishness, then I wouldn't have resentment. And it looks kind of like this for me. Um, self-delusion, and I, look, I looked up what self-delusion is. Accepting false and often psychotic beliefs regarding oneself or persons or objects outside of oneself. And my delusion was either I was better than everybody else or I was much lower than anybody else. I could not recover no matter what. Having my jaws wired shut, I could not stop this disease. I couldn't, which was true. I couldn't. But self-delusion, I. Self-seeking. You know, self-seeking, what do I want? I broke up with a man that I was crazy about because he could not fulfill my needs. I, 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 you know that song? Ah, la, 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 la. He could not fulfill my needs. And I have found out that if I try to solve a problem, anything other than what the information in this book gives me, other than the spiritual solution, I self-destruct. So instead of thinking what he needs, maybe he couldn't, maybe he couldn't see me on Friday nights. You know, maybe he had something else to do. I was, he can't see me, and I'm breaking up with him. Self, self, I, 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 self-pity, self-pity. You know, again, I'll sing, but I won't. It's all about me. We step on the toes of others. Um, then later on, self, which later placed us in a position to be hurt. We've made decisions based on self. As long as I live and breathe about penny, 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 and not live a God-centered life, and what can I do for you-centered life, I'm going to be in disease. You know, I'm going to be right on that edge. And I don't want to diminish anybody's grief in any way, but I can tell you that this selfishness helped me uh, find some peace with the death of my husband. And you've heard me talk about this a million times, but there's so many blessings that have come. And selfishness is the root of, you know, I could have ended up in bed in a fetal position, you know, crying, eating, whatever, suicide. I didn't. I looked for God. Selfishness to me was, I don't have Richard. He's not here. I don't have anybody to pay the bills. I miss him. Who's going to hold me at night? I, 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 I. Selfishness was the root of my pain. To be able to let go and know that everybody's going to, I mean, you know, everybody's going to leave. This is for me. I do not mean to diminish anybody's grief out there, but everybody's got to go. Every, none of us are going to get out of here alive. This was God's time for him to go, this, and it was, it was a good one. It was a good one. Quick, ba-ba-da, I won't go through the whole thing, but I say thank you, God. He is in a, I believe, he's in a better place. He has no more illness. This is loving. Selfishness is to want him here with me and to uh, continue on the downward spiral to death, you know. Selfishness is the root of our troubles. Major, major, major information. Thanks for letting me sing. And the other thing I wanted to say also is I am so excited. I am so excited to hear how these hundred people tell us 
to recover from this stuff. It's, I can identify. I can identify. Yes, 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 yes. But I can't wait. Hang on, you know, to hear the, the solution. Thanks for letting me share, everybody. Thank you, Penny. Anyone else on this paragraph? This is Judy B. from Massachusetts. Judy, your turn. Oh, the shares have been absolutely wonderful. And I just I just need to uh, go over this one more time, that selfishness, self-centeredness is the root of our troubles, uh, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. I, I did not see this at all when I first came into program. I mean, it that was foreign to me. I mean, I thought that I was really this person who was putting everybody else first, and, um, you know, that just wasn't part of my makeup. And wow, working these steps surely can, can open our eyes. Um, that part about... Um, we invariably find that at some time in the past we have made decisions based on self, which later placed us in a position to be hurt. And I did that. I, I did it in such a way that it seemed as if I was um, caring and loving, but I wasn't. I was dishonest. I, I cared more about what others thought of me, you know, what I could get from them. And the, the fears, the the fears really were, were bigger for me than resentments. The fears were enormous. I mean, I was just so afraid that, that I wasn't strong enough, that I wasn't good enough, that I was inadequate. I, I mean, the fears were just overwhelming. But as long as I kept the people around me happy, you know, then I, then I felt okay. You know, I had such a fear of being alone, um, I just I needed to be appreciated and loved, and I just I I I I love the way that was sung. I I I I mean, it's just this program teaches us that that even if we don't see it in the beginning, you know, we are selfish and self-centered, and and once we see that and can change that, and we don't change it ourselves. I mean, God gives us that grace, and and. We have a psychic change which just changes our whole world. This program works. It's just absolutely beautiful. And I'm so grateful that I found it. Um, so very, very grateful. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you. My name is Leigh. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing. I want to focus on this uh, selfishness, self-centeredness that we think is the root of our troubles. Selfishness, um, that definition is, and it's not pretty, uh, self-absorbed, self-centered, self-serving, and self-centeredness concerned solely with one's own desires, needs, or interests. You know, not not pretty, you know, <laughs> not exactly pretty. Self-centered, selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. And, of course, a root, we all know roots run deep. Roots are the source. It's the origin of what springs forth, you know. Uh, it, it's the essential core. So, essentially, what the big book is telling me is that my essential core, my core belief is one of selfishness and self-centeredness, that I'm at the center of the universe. 
that we think is the root of our troubles. Well, that's not very nice of them to say. And, and you know, I came here because, uh, you know, I have a weight problem. <laughs> I have a problem with some food. But what the big book is teaching me here is, you know, that's just, that's just emerging. My food issues and my weight is just emerging as a, as a symbol and a symptom of being out of relationship with, with, with God, being out of relationship with God. That's what it's telling me, that this self-sufficiency and this, um, you know, philosophy of self-reliance is not working. It says, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. You know, these forms of fear, self-delusion, and self-seeking, and self-pity, those are the tools we use to be a victim. That's what I used to be a victim. Something happened to me in the 60s. That's true. Something happened to me in the 60s. It was bad. I was a little kid. However, I utilized those events for the next two decades. That's my responsibility. That's my responsibility to walk around in fear and self-seeking and self-pity and not take action on my life. In, in the 1980s, because what happened in the 1960s, that is self-centered. That's self-centered of me. That was self-centered, and that was the lens through which I perceived my reality. And because I was looking out of the world through that lens, all I could see was alienation, isolation, resentment, fear, collision, and confusion, because that was the vision that I was utilizing. I was coming from that core belief, that core belief of selfishness and self-centeredness. And so, of course, my world around me was one of alienation. But, you know, through the process of the steps where we can be transformed from a self-centered existence to a God-centered existence, then our vision our vision is aligned with God. And when I choose the lens of spirituality and when I choose the lens of harmony with God and God's universe, then I feel unity and I feel empathy and I feel harmony and I feel tolerance and cooperation and I feel love. I feel love because I am aligned. I'm in harmony with God. I'm in harmony with God, and people don't need to retaliate because perhaps I'm not stepping on their toes. And with that, I pass. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Robin? Robin, go ahead. Well, many of us had moral and philosophical convictions galore, but we could not live up to them even though we would have liked to. Neither could we reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on our own power. We had to have God's help. Um, you know, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, the, the very same brain that I have discovered, well, first of all, this is we're starting the process of self-discovery. Um, you know, we're going to be moving into the fourth step where without understanding the things that we've done, you know, there's not a whole lot I can do about them. I can't even ask for help unless I understand what it is that I've been doing and thinking and saying and believing. Um, but what I'm being told here is that the same brain that has been so focused on self-centeredness is not going to be able to get me out of my troubles. There's nothing that this self-centered brain can do to fix this self-centered brain. And I'm, I'm given the hope here in this last sentence. This is the spiritual awakening that's going to be... Um, that's promised to me. 
I have to have God's help. I still can't do this on my own, and it will happen. But the self-discovery comes first, and um, understanding that wishing or trying on my own power is still not going to work. It's time to let go and let God ask for help, ask for the help of my, my fellows as I understand and learn about myself, and um, being open to the fact that all of my problems have become have have come from the fact that I'm putting myself at the very center of the universe, and I I now need help God's help getting out of the center of the universe and right sizing the world. So it's the spiritual awakening that's going to start after the self discovery. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Robin, and thank you to everyone who has shared this morning. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Judy B., will you please read a vision for you? Certainly. Thank you, Leah. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.